Today, I think, is a good sermon for me because as I was in the lobby today, I realized someone said, which tea are you going to get? And I said, I don't have time for tea. I'm just going to get coffee um, because I can have it right now and I don't have to wait the three, four, five minutes for the tea to actually steep. So I don't know if I would do very well in this experiment that I'm about to show you a clip from. I think this will help set up what we're going to talk about today. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> so you probably figure this out, um, but what you just watched was a film study on the power of instant gratification in the face of a promised bigger reward. Uh, And so what we saw is that kids, even when faced with the possibility and opportunity of two marshmallows, had a really difficult time resisting instant gratification or eating the marshmallow right now, right in front of them. And I think it's pretty funny to watch. And I think part of the reason we giggle is because uh, we know so much more as adults. And sometimes we know that you have to hang in there for the big reward. Or do we? (laughs) You know who gets hammered with this more than anybody else? Anybody have a guess? What group? Not parents. Millennials. You know who millennials are? Millennials are roughly anyone, well, here, but anywhere really between the ages of 18 to 35. If you're in that age group, Uh, you're a millennial. And honestly, as I was reading this week articles on instant gratification and patience and stuff like, any time millennials got mentioned, they got hammered with the title of the instant gratification generation. 
So millennials here, let me ask you, is that true? No? Okay. Yes? Okay, you can, you can agree or disagree. To me, I think it sounds pretty harsh. You know, and um, I actually read an article where a millennial started to fight back, and he said this quote, Many people criticize our age cohort because we're this way. But consider how you would respond to things if you grew up experiencing feedback or rewards after everything you did. And think about it. Beyond any particular generation, I'm not a, I'm not a millennial, I'm an Xer, I'm a little bit older than that, uh, but any generation represented in this room today where technology has grown to the point where we can talk to anyone immediately, anywhere in the world, or at least text them. Uh, if we hear a song we like, we can immediately download it. If we want to look better, we can take a pill or have surgery. Basically, if we want to know anything about anyone or Anywhere, we can pull out our phones and look it up, getting ticked off if we have to wait for our favorite website just to load. Patience, I think it's fair to say, is passe. It's, it's an inconvenience. It's unexpected. And we're more like the little kids in this video than we realize. You know, one author, Jamie Friedlander, who, by the way, is a millennial, succinctly put it this way. He said, Patience is no longer a virtue in our society, but rather a waste of time. Examples of instant gratification are everywhere in our society, in places we don't even realize it exists. Instead of sitting down and enjoying a meal, we have drive throughs Instead of excitedly waiting for a college acceptance letter in the mail, we check online obsessively. And if that isn't enough, we have the internet to tell us everything we want to know at the drop of a hat, instead of working towards finding the answers to our questions. We've been named, quote, the instant gratification generation, and this frustrates me to no end for two reasons. One, because I'm guilty of uh, succumbing to the need to having what I want immediately. And two, because I believe many times patience can lead to happiness, and we're losing that happiness. People want material objects, relationships, or even success as soon as possible, And because they aren't patient enough to wait for their desires, they lose their own happiness in the process. What do you think? Yeah, I wonder if uh, Jamie Friedlander has a point. You know, that little marshmallow experience, uh, when they initially did that, like in the 50s and 60s, they actually traced the participants of that experiment through the rest of their lives. And they found that roughly 30% that could wait for the second marshmallow had surprisingly better outcomes in their lives, even simple little things like scoring higher on college entrance exams. So maybe there's something to it. Or more precisely, maybe there's something significant to be gained by learning to be patient. So today, we're wrapping up a six-week vision series about life in Philadelphia and how this community can most effectively engage the city to have the biggest impact. So today we're going to end this series as we look forward to Easter by looking at one principle that Jesus teaches us that runs contrary to our wiring for instant gratification. Patience. And what we'll be reminded of today is that patience is an invaluable part in our efforts to be the best friends that we can be to this city. It's patience that releases overwhelming strength, facilitates total transformation, and reminds us that what God's purposes in Philadelphia 
and reminds us that God's purposes in Philadelphia will ultimately come to pass. Sound interesting? All right, let's do it. So the power of patience is what this is called. So last week we looked at uh, one passage of scripture, Luke 10, 1 to 9. And what we saw is that Jesus was sending out his followers to engage with people who weren't particularly interested in engaging with him. And he had specific instructions uh, to his followers about how they should enter new towns, how they should meet new people, how they should interact. And his instructions to his followers culminate with uh, miracles in the lives of the people around them. Particularly, this happens when you get to verse 9, which says, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now this, I think, is really, really exciting stuff. The part where the power of God breaks in and we see miracles and lives change. The stuff, I think it's fair to say, when we think about Philadelphia, when we write our signs, this is the stuff that we dream about. But along the way to verse 9 comes verse 7, which says this, do not move around from house to house. Now that's an interesting verse, I think, but it's really easy just to run right over it without paying attention. But I think that would be a mistake. I think what that verse does is it indicates that Jesus was expecting that his followers would be tempted to leave the places that they were staying before the really good stuff happened. And I wonder if that means that Jesus' first followers were a little bit like us, you know, looking for immediate results, immediate healings, immediate positive responses to the message of Jesus. And I wonder if he was concerned that they would find a place to stay, but when they didn't immediately see or sense God doing anything, would think something like, well, maybe I'm missing God, and this isn't where I'm supposed to be, or nothing's happening here, let's move on. But Jesus doesn't want them to move on too quickly. It's like he's saying, don't move around from house to house because I'm at work, whether you realize it or not, and if you don't stay around, like I encourage in verse number seven, you won't be here when all the stuff happens in verse number nine. You see, the disciples have seen a lot of really explosive and powerful moments with Jesus. They've seen healings. They've seen prophetic words. They've been in large gatherings where incredible miracles happened. And these, it seems like, were happening a lot. But Jesus is starting here to prepare them for a different setting and a long life. Remember, Jesus is sending his followers to engage with people who aren't interested in engaging with him. These folks aren't going to the big meetings. And they're getting, they're getting on with real, everyday life. And this actually is where most of life and most people live. And Jesus is preparing his followers to live in that world and engage regular, everyday people. The kingdom of God is explosive. It is immediate. It is instant, but not all the time. I think it's fair to say that the most significant impact of the kingdom of God is often unseen for a really long time. It's not in the big meetings or formal settings. It's in the everyday lives of people and can easily be missed if we aren't patient and we move on too soon. And this is something that I think we need to understand if we're going to see our great city become even better. We need to understand the unseen nature of the kingdom of God so that we can celebrate the big victories 
but not get discouraged when things take a long time, when they're imperfect, when it's not happening like the vision that we have in our minds and our hearts just yet. So Jesus instructs his followers in ways that will force them to be patient. And let's look at why patience is so powerful. So uh, we've talked about Luke 10 here at the top of our sermon, but uh, just a few chapters later, Luke reports on Jesus sort of picking up on this theme as he describes in more detail the kingdom of God and what it's like. So let's read and see what Jesus says. Luke 13, verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like the yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. First, patience releases overwhelming strength. Patience releases overwhelming strength. Now, to make a point about strength, Jesus does something to get his listeners' attention. He chooses something that no one would associate with strength and says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is the same kingdom of God that Jesus says explains the powerful healings from verse 9 in our other passage. Now, if you're like me, you might expect Jesus to choose another metaphor or example to describe what strength is like. Maybe like, I don't know, a lightning bolt, an earthquake, But from all of nature that he could choose from, an elephant, you know, a hurricane, you know, a comet falling from the sky, he could choose anything in nature to describe strength, and he chooses a mustard seed, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny seed. It's something that can easily be missed or overlooked that you would step on and never know. You see, we're drawn to the immediate. We're drawn to the obvious. We want to see breakthroughs and powerful experiences immediately, but Jesus gives his followers a picture of something that grows slowly, hidden, underground, where nobody would have any idea that it's even there, let alone growing. You know, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the immediate with the powerful, with the in-your-face experience. And Jesus did lots of immediate and powerful things, but the most powerful things with the longest-lasting impact, even and perhaps especially in the kingdom of God, often happen slowly and in ways that nobody can see. Kelsey Timmerman wrote a book, came out in 2009. It was called, Where Am I Wearing?, a global tour of the countries, factories, and people that make our clothes. It's a book that examines where the clothes that most of us wear come from and the conditions they're produced in. And that book had a, had a bit of an impact when it came out. And I was reading his blog, and he made some interesting points. And I think this I just want to share with you because it really made, it really, I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of, I want to think about that more. So let me just ask you, name a brand that is socially aware and cares for the people making their products. Throw some out there. Tom's. Where? Facebook. Oh, geez. You had to go there. All right. Uh, anything else? Say it again. Fair trade indigo. 
Okay, what else? Uh, Where? Promise. promise. Okay, anything else? Abagonia. Abagonia. All right, so here's a list of, if you don't know all of them, you should look them up, because I don't know all of them. You know, I'm not that educated. So, um, but it's interesting to me that the first name that went out there was Tom's. Uh, Temmerman actually mentions Tom's in his blog post, and he's very positive about Tom's. And he points out that their BOGO, or buy one, give one, philosophy has uh, had a really cool and amazing and fun and powerful impact. And if you're not uh, familiar with that, if you buy a pair of Toms, they provide shoes for under-resourced children around the world. And it's a very positive program. And Timmerman is very positive about it. He does point out, however, that while treating the symptom of shoelessness in a very practical way, the way the shoes are produced does little to treat the actual cause of the shoelessness or poverty itself. And to make his point, he describes another shoe manufacturer. Has anyone ever heard of Soul Rebels? Yeah, so maybe one or two, most of the response were Soul Rebels with the question. Maybe there's one or two people who have heard of Soul Rebels. So Soul Rebels is an Ethiopian shoe company that employs about 100 people. And according to Timmerman, they pay their workers three times the typical wage in Ethiopia. And the company covers health care costs and sends the workers' kids to school. And the Ethiopian woman who founded Soul Rebels tells Timmerman, by the way, you should check out their website. Their shoes are actually really cool. Just a little plug there. Uh, I don't get any kickback, I promise. <laughs> but she says, if you give a kid shoes, they wear out or they grow out of them, and then what do they have? If you give the kid's parents a job, the whole family will always have shoes. And Timmerman deliberates to make his point. He says, quote, let's say the average worker at Soul Rebels has five kids. That's the average rate of uh, the size of families in Ethiopia. And the worker sends all five kids to school, and since they have an education, they don't grow up to be shoemakers. They do something that pays better. And then they send their five kids to school. A job, a good job, has an exponential impact. Within a few generations, the hundred jobs at Soul Rebels have then impacted tens of thousands of people. Within six generations, the jobs have impacted millions. Now imagine if Soul Rebels sold as many shoes as Tom's. This isn't just life-changing stuff. This is possibly country-changing, poverty-fighting stuff. And my point is this. I'm absolutely not trying to knock Tom's at all. God bless Tom's. You know, I think they're doing great things that make a difference. But they also seem to me uh, to be powerful in the way that lightning or thunder is an immediate, powerful impact. It's immediate, it's fast. And Tom's, as I understand it, actually, when it hit, was a bit of an overnight phenomenon itself. And everyone started paying attention, and they've done some really great things. And that's terrific, but I wonder if what Soul Rebels is doing isn't even more significant. It's not flashy. I'd never heard of them before reading this article. They're completely under the radar in terms of popular car culture, as far as I know. Yet they're actually helping to lift entire families out of poverty with the potential to affect entire generations and economies with exponential or ever-growing, building-on-itself power. We've never heard of them. One person may be here. And as far as I, can, as I, I was concerned, they were hidden. They're like a mustard seed. Easy to overlook, but slowly growing until they become something that can bring lasting change. Think of it this way. 
Uh, what do you think about the sidewalks in West Philadelphia? I'm not trying to hate. I love West Philly. I love Philly. But have you ever seen where a tree is just sort of getting a little bit out of control? The sidewalk's trying to fight back but losing terribly? It's not just West Philly. Thank you very much. That's the mustard seed effect. I want to show you a picture. The picture here is a picture of a grave, a cement grave. And if you look, you'll notice that a tree is grown right up in the middle of it. You know why? Because when this poor soul was laid to rest, some seed fell in with him or her, maybe an acorn. And this little bitty seed got under the grave, and nobody knew it was there. Nobody thought about it. Nobody noticed it. Nobody had any idea that anything was happening, but that seed tiny as it was, started to grow. And the crazy things about seeds is you can cover them in cement and they they don't care. It's like Jurassic Park. Nature will find a way. And it just started working its way, finding enough water, lifting, lifting, until it eventually broke through concrete or cement or whatever that's made of and took over. And I think you can imagine plenty of, tree, or plenty of birds being able to rest in that tree, yeah? That's the power of a mustard seed. This is the way real, lasting change happens. This is the way that the kingdom of God often happens, slowly, like a seed growing under pavement. These, there are lightning moments that are fun and amazing, but the deepest, most powerful, most lasting effects of the kingdom of God often happen slowly. But like a full-grown tree, they can carry a lot of, lot of weight. They can be leaned on. The verse says, It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. But to get to this point, we have to be patient. And we as a community have to be in it for the long haul. We have to stay encouraged even when it looks like nothing is happening. Second, patient facilitates total transformation. You know, in the second parable, it talks about yeast. It says the kingdom of God is like yeast. And again, we have Jesus using a metaphor of something that's unseen and unassuming. Yet what is profound about yeast is that It's something that's small, unassuming, but changes everything to be more like it. So personally, the king of God may not change your personality. God gave you a personality, right? He likes it. But it will accentuate and pull out the parts of your personality that are the best while overcoming the things that keep you from rising, if you will. And for a community or a city, the same thing is true. The kingdom of God is at work looking to bring out the best in the DNA of the community while overcoming the things that would keep a city from rising. And this is part of the reason that when we speak of Philadelphia, we speak of seeking to make our great city even better. But this often happens slowly in our lives and in our communities, like yeast working its way through the dough, bringing life and helping us to rise to new levels. They're breakthrough moments. But most of the action is happening beneath the surface. Third, patience takes time. But the outcome is certain. You know, in the parables, 
The tree grows and supports the birds. The yeast works its way through the whole dough. It happens. It's inevitable. It's hard to see happening, but it does. The promise of the Christian scriptures is that everything will be renewed. The only warning is that we can miss out if we don't stay in there. If we move from house to house before the kingdom has had time to grow, before we make it to verse 9. You know, a vision series can build a lot of hope and a lot of expectation. And coming out of this series, we should, and I hope, that we're expecting lightning bolts and amazing immediate miracles today and tomorrow and every day. But let's also remember that some of the most lasting and transforming ways that the kingdom works are the most hidden and take the longest time. Let's remember that God is working, even when we can't see it, and that a God-sized vision will take faith and perseverance and time. And this means that as a community... We're in it for the long haul. Being the best friend that we can be to Philadelphia, we'll have lightning moments, but we'll have many, many hidden moments of perseverance and faith. That's okay. That's how we, how we change. And that's how we change a great city to be even better. So today, uh, you were met by some sign paper on your seat, probably, or down the row from you, and markers at the end of your row. This is your chance to pray a dream. Some of you already have started. To pray for things you'd love to see happen tomorrow, but you're willing to hang in there for the long haul to see happen five years from now, ten years from now, over a generation. So if you haven't already, what is your prayer, your hope for what Jesus can do in this city or the lives of the people around you or your life? What would the kingdom of God look like if it entered that world, that realm? If you saw Jesus in a parade entering Philadelphia, what would you hope that that meant? And take a moment. I'm giving you a moment right now. I know you already started working. That's great. You can keep working. Grab a marker. Declare that prayer on your sign paper. And this week, We're going to symbolically live out our sermon today. What do I mean? Well, if you would be so kind as to leave your sign behind, and if you want it back, write your name on it. If you don't, that's fine. If you want it to be anonymous, don't put your name on it. But we're going to collect those and use them as part of our Good Friday service, where, and this is the patience part, we're going to see those prayers and dreams die with Jesus as part of our service. And we'll wait Friday. And we'll wait Saturday. Identifying with the death of hope and the longing for rebirth. And then on the third day, Easter Sunday, we'll gather here and your prayers and your hope will be reborn with Jesus. They'll be transformed into something new. New life will be born. It should be an amazing week. Let's pray.